I'm thankful for this opportunity on Wednesday nights to cover some practical things that we just don't get to cover on Sunday morning. Um, Sunday morning, we're very much tied to uh, verse by verse and, and looking at uh, the text of Scripture. Sunday morning is not the time to do, you know, life coaching or, or you know, things like that. But on Wednesday nights, we can uh, talk about best practices and decency and order and, and share advice as parents and as families. And that's really more or less what tonight is going to be, especially um, not an unpacking of a text, but a uh, some uh, some dispatches from the trenches on on how to how to train children in the pew and at the same time make the Lord's day a delight, make it a joy. So, three passages of scripture that all say the same thing: Exodus twenty three nineteen, Exodus thirty four twenty six, and Deuteronomy fourteen twenty one. Here it is, in all three places: You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. I'll read that again. Here's your memory verse for the day. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. What does that commandment mean? Who would be inclined to do something like that? And why does that commandment show up three times in the text of the law? Not just one time, three times we're commanded, do not boil a kid in its mother's milk. Well, when we think about the way that the New Testament uses the Old Testament, the way that the uh, New Testament understands and applies the Old Testament, the laws about animals are usually, ultimately, about people. Uh, we have these uh, applications in the New Testament of Old Covenant laws, like don't muzzle the ox that treads out the grain. Well, um, that, that's not, not just about ox it is, it is at a certain level about oxen, but it's ultimately about people. Don't unequally yoke an ox and a donkey. That was a commandment. Who would ever do such a thing? If you yoke an ox and a donkey together, you're gonna plow in a circle. That's not gonna work. Uh, but that's obviously about people. These laws are, are bigger than animals. So, so that's a clue to understanding laws like this. But, but who is the goat and what is the milk? It seems to be a way of describing an act that is cruel, that should really rub us the wrong way to think about taking uh, the milk of a mother goat and seething or scalding or boiling the baby goat in that milk. Uh, that should rub us the wrong way for a, good, for a good reason. There are things like that that make us deeply uncomfortable. We just don't do that. We, we don't, and, and we should ask, why would anybody do something like that? But I think there's also a principle here that we don't take something that is meant for life, mother's milk, and use it in a destructive or harmful way to boil the kid. Milk is meant to nourish the baby goat. So don't use it to scald the baby goat. And we can make all kinds of applications from there. For what God is prohibiting there in that law is using what is intended for nurturing using something intended for nourishment for purposes of death. And we can make a bunch of applications there. I, I think one easy application is, is um, uh, we can apply that to women in combat. Women were not created for conventional combat. 
when women fight in the Bible, they fight in their own way. They use domestic weapons of warfare, right? They use millstones, they use tent pegs, they use hammers, they use pitchers of milk. That's how women fight. Women fight, but they're not engineered for destruction or killing the way that men are designed uh, to put things to death. Men are designed to put things to death. Women are designed to nourish things. Uh, and, and that's a, a, an application of, of this law um, don't boil a kid in his mother's milk. Don't use that which is intended for life and nourishing. Don't put that in the, um, in the process of, of, of death. Don't use that for uh, death. I want to apply this law, though, to the Lord's day. And I, and I don't think this is a big jump. I don't think this is a big leap. There is a way to use the Lord's day destructively. There's a way to approach the Lord's day in a way that you're using this thing that is for our rest and for our nourishment and for our refreshment and use it in a way that's destructive. The Lord's day is given for us for worship, for life. Um, but there's a way to make it pure misery. There's a way to lead your family to hate Sunday. And I mean hate Sunday because of the way that we conduct ourselves. Sunday can be the least favorite day of the week uh, if, if, if you want it to be. And, and worship can be the least favorite activity on the day. It's just this horrible thing that we have to get through on an otherwise horrible day. Uh, men, you can make worship a weariness for your wife and for your children. The prophet Malachi talks about those who profane the table of the Lord and they say, oh, what a weariness. There's, there's this problem in Israel of people who look at worship as this, this great drudgery, this, this awful weariness. And they, they sneer at worship because of how hard and difficult and loathsome it is to them. So there's a real potential, like a serious potential for us to lead our families in such a way that they despise worship and they resent us for bringing them to worship because of the way we've turned Sunday into a drudgery. So when it comes to the Lord's Day, I want two things for my children and my family. I want them, number one, to love Sunday, to love coming to be with God's people and participating in all of worship. I want that. That's number one. And number two, I want everybody around them to be glad that they are there. And for my children and for my family to not be the center of attention, for my family to not be distracting people from the worship of God, so I don't want worship to be a drudgery for my kids or for the people around me. I don't want people uh, to look at my family coming through the door and say, oh, well, I guess we're not hearing the sermon today. We should have picked the other service. Uh, I, 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 guess we're, I guess we're out of luck. Um, I don't want to be loathsome to my children or to the people around me. So a few thoughts on how we get through these infant and toddler years and how to do it joyfully, because um, <laughs> literally uh, there's, there's a way to boil your kid in, in uh, the milk of worship, and, and we don't want to do that. Um, every kid is different. Every child uh, responds to certain things better than other things. Family size is always a factor, um, both with, with strengths and limitations, no matter how big or how small your family is, how many kids you have. So your mileage may vary. I'm trying to keep this in the zone of, of, of principles, throwing some methods in there 
uh, that, uh, that are hopefully helpful methods that worked for us. First, um, before worship even begins, before you even leave the house on the Lord's Day, have a strategy, mom and dad, husband and wife, have a strategy for how things are going to go. Who is holding, if you have multiple kids, who is holding what kid? Who's holding the baby? Who's managing the toddlers? And, and have a plan. Again, your plan may need to change. Your, <laughs> your plan may unravel. But uh, at, at least then, you know, you, you can um, call an audible, but you had a plan going, going in. Uh, my wife and I often refer to something we saw, I don't know, had to be 15, 20 years ago, when we were first coming into the Reformed faith, we visited a church where there was a man, of, of, the family had six or seven kids. The man sat stoically in worship, um, staring straight ahead, while, while his wife was managing a whole row of crazy little people by herself, while he sat rigid, facing forward while she's getting up and getting down and handling all of this, this three-ring circus on the row next to her. And um, afterwards, uh, I think we just kind of made a, a little comment or a joke and said, um, wow, I mean, they, they were kind of busy today. And, and he made a comment um, like, yeah, that's really, uh, I, I let my wife deal with the kids because you know, worship on the Lord's Day is really for men. It's for the men. You know, she'll get it. She'll get it later. Uh, worship is for us, and uh, you know, it's as if it doesn't really matter if his wife or his kids are there to begin with. But that he was locked in on getting, getting the sermon. You know, he was locked in on understanding and hearing it uh, in perfection. Well, that's just a bad dad. That's just a bad husband. Um, I've joked with some of y'all before, and I've said, if God wanted you to hear a full sermon, He wouldn't have given you kids, right? Uh, there's a blessing to the fact that these things are recorded. If you want to catch up later, and if you want to listen to something that you missed, we have the technology to do that. Um, but, but getting children through worship is, takes both mom and dad. And if, and if one of you are gone for whatever reason, it's, it sends things into kind of a crazy tailspin when you've got to do it by yourself. It, it ought to be, um, ordinarily, it ought to be mom and dad uh, helping each other, serving each other, and not simply relying on uh, what happens a lot is that, um, and I don't think it really happens here. I can't think of a single example of, of it happening here in this church. But I have seen it where mom is just frazzled. Mom is just weary trying to keep everybody um, in, t in, in line. So um, going in, uh, you, you go in with a plan. Who is who is holding the baby? Who is managing the toddler? Do you, do you need extra help? There are seasons and there are times of life. Is there a teenager? Is there a young adult? Is there an older woman who can sit with you? Is there somebody, if, if, if dad has the toddler and, and, and mom is in the nursery with the, with the nursing infant and, and you've got a four-year-old and a five-year-old, is there somebody around that, that can help you? Just make sure that they don't run out the door. You know, go, go, go AWOL. Um, uh, is, there, is there somebody who can help you through these tough seasons? And, and then what are, we, what are we taking into worship with us? What are we doing to keep this kid active, engaged, but quiet throughout the sermon? I'm gonna explain a little bit more what I mean by that. Remember again, there are different levels of activity and sound 
that are acceptable at different parts of the worship service. For two-thirds of our worship service, so we usually go about an hour and a half, and so for an hour of that time, there is engaging activity for all ages, and we want our children to be as engaged as possible according to their age and ability. This is when we sing. This is when we read together. This is when we pray together. This is when we stand. This is when we kneel. This is when we raise our hands. This is when we eat and drink. This is when we give to God. All of these are times where a little bit of noise, a little bit of shuffling, as we go from one thing to the next, a, a little movement, it's expected, it's necessary. It's, it's not a big deal. It's, it really is, as I've um, underscored these last couple of weeks, it really is during the sermon time uh, that we're training our children to sit still, quietly, on their bottoms, facing forward, to the best of their ability, not to be a distraction to anyone around them. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to be statues. There are a number of quiet, non-distracting things to keep little ones busy. And moreover, if your goal is for your child to be a statue on Sunday morning, and there's no other time of the week where you're asking them to be statues, if, if you're not practicing being a statue at any other time of the week, you're setting yourself up for failure and you are making Sunday a grief for them. It, it is awful to, to have to, have to uh, exercise this behavior that's not expected of me any other time of the week. I'm, I'm not being trained in this. I'm not being helped in this. I'm just thrown into this on the Lord's day and I have to be a statue for this 30 minutes or 40 minutes and, um, and, and, and then, you know, I get out of it and then, and then I'm fine. Um, you, that, that's, that's making a, a grief, uh, Sunday a grief for them. And, and I'm after what I want for all of us. I want joy, not drudgery. And so there are times and there are ways to even uh, make the sermon time a joy. So with my children, when they were small, my goal was always to make worship a delight for them and not torturous to ease them into the focused attention that I was seeking without, I wasn't looking for the same behavior from them uh, when they were one as I expected when they, were, when they were 15. I know some parents have even small children that can sit very still and quiet. They don't have any stimuli and, and I remember a time when I wish that God had given me one of those children who could sit quietly and still without, without, any, without anything. Um, and, and I know some other parents who have, have tried to force small children to remain still and quiet with nothing in front of them, with nothing to keep them occupied out of principle, and worship just ends up being this horribly exhausting experience for them and for everyone around them. So the trick, here's the trick. The trick is to keep small children quietly busy in a manner which is not gonna draw attention to them or distract anyone else. And here are a few ideas um, that, that we used with our children when they were small. And so I'm gonna look at babies to toddlers, um, toddlers to school age, and then, and then school age to, to adulthood. Um, first, ba from babies to toddlers. Really, the biggest challenge early on is just getting them to the point where they're not hollering randomly just to hear their own voice or fussing for no reason. Last week we talked about sounds that you train out of them at home so that you don't have those sounds in public, sounds of whining, sounds of boredom, just sounds to be making crazy sounds. You train them out of those at home and you, 
you eliminate them or reduce them in public. But one way, before they even understand what they're doing, one way to keep them from shouting or just to hear their own voice is to keep something in their mouth. Um, maybe you don't like pacifiers, some people do. Uh, maybe a, a, a sippy cup. We often brought um, things like uh, Cheerios or those little puff rice. Let me stop right, you don't give the child the box of cereal, right? You don't give them the container that they can throw all over the place. Here's, here's how I, I did this. Um, and we both did it, a small little handful of Cheerios in my fist. And, and they would sit there quietly and they would peel my fingers back and get one Cheerio and put it on their tongue and I'd close my fist back and I've got the Cheerios, I've got the rice puffs, I've got them right here. And they're chewing that little thing, you know, dissolves on their tongue and they're just, but their mouth is doing something other than talking. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing something other than making noise. They're, they're chewing something. Um, but you don't give them the bag, you don't give them the box, you don't give them things to rattle, you don't give them the container to throw or drop or spill. You hold on to the handful and, and you distribute it one at a time to keep them busy. And then as they get a little bit older, um, you know, they, they a little bit more alert, just a very small thing. They don't need a toy box on Sunday morning. They don't need a whole big range of, of busy things to, to keep them occupied. Just one little small thing, a little, a little car, a little soft animal. Board books are great because board books don't wrinkle. Board books don't rattle. Uh, board books go a long way. Um, uh, there was a time where um, my daughter would... Did, I don't even know if they make these things anymore, but those uh, sewing cards where you have this little um, cardboard thing and, and the... Um, and the uh, shoelace thing that you, 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 you put through the holes in the thing. Um, my, my daughter um, kept quiet with those. Um, we saved special things in a special Sunday bag that we only, we only brought out on Sunday morning. Um, you, you don't get into that bag any other day of the week. This stuff is only for Sunday, and it was special for Sunday. Um, we did... Um, Crayons for, for either drawing, coloring on the back of the bulletin or, or a sheet of paper. When I say crayons, again, let's think. Not, we don't need the 96 box of crayons with the sharpener in the side. Three crayons is, is all you need. Now, I, I learned this uh, the hard way. Um, when my daughter was four or five, she snuck, and I don't know how it ended up. Um, by the way, a lot of my... Um, anecdotes are from um, you know, my wife is, is the church musician. I, during these times, I'm either an intern or I'm an assistant pastor, and we're trying to parent our kids and find these windows where one or the other of us can sit with the kids in the pew and get them trained while um, we've got other responsibilities on the Lord's Day. So, so the windows that we had to train our kids are tight and we had to get them trained for worship so that they could um, take care of themselves. Anyway, but in one of these crazy Sundays, my daughter had a whole bag full of, uh, of, of colored pencils. And our sanctuary in the church we were in, uh, the floor was a floating parabola, which means it's like a stadium, wooden floor, and we sat, we always sat in the very last row when my son was little, and in the middle of the sermon, my daughter lost handle of those pencils, and they rolled all the way down, the entire floor, all the way up to the front. 
pastor's wife, Steve Wilkins' wife, Wendy, uh, always sat on the front row. And after worship, she came up to me with a big handful of pencils, and she said, are these yours? Uh, of course, she was laughing about it the whole time. But it was, um, uh, that never happened again. I guarantee you that never happened again. So, so when I say crayons, I'm not talking about the, you know, the big mega box. Um, three crayons. Again, what am I doing with the crayons? I'm holding them tightly in my fist, and my son would pull one out, and he'd color with it, and he put another, they don't have control of the things that they can drop. They don't have control of the things that can make noise when I've got them on my lap, when they're babies. Um, you know, pull out a new one, put in another one. And sometimes just taking crayons out and putting them back quietly, that was a good 15 minutes worth of activity right there. Um, there was a thing where he, he'd have a Hot Wheel car, and of course I'm sitting with my knees crossed, right? And um, it's like a little garage. And he puts his car in the garage, and I close it up, and he looks up at me, and he like tries to get the garage door open, and it doesn't always open. Um, and then he gets it open, and he pulls the car out, and he drives it up and down my leg, and he puts it back in. And that's like 20 minutes of activity that's completely quiet. Um, what, uh, if, if you allow them to color, they don't need to bring a massive coloring book to rattle and rip and tear pages and drop the whole thing. One sheet of paper, on the hymnal or the back of the bulletin with a couple of crayons and about 20 Cheerios will get a lap child almost entirely through a sermon. Um, that, um, and that, again, is um, from experience. Now, if, um, I mean, again, your mileage may vary, but think creatively, what is the quietest, stillest, but um, what, what am I asking, what can I give them to do that's, that's gonna keep them engaged and quiet and not, not whining and keening and bored and wailing and not just talking to hear themselves talk um, and, and thinking about strategically, what does my child need for these things? Um, now, again, I'm gonna stop in just a few minutes for, um, for uh, uh, conversation, but let me move quickly to um, from toddlers to school age. Once... Um, once they can sit on their bottom facing forward in their own space on the chair, then it's time to slowly stop bringing snacks. Don't, I mean, you're not bringing toys. The expectation as they grow is that they're gonna keep themselves mentally engaged without flopping around or laying down. Um, we, we had a children's Bible that they could quietly turn the pages of or, or another you know, good book. They can, they can color with a pencil or a crayon on a single sheet of paper. Um, uh, it's during this time, um, and I'm, I'm thinking like two to three to four, that uh, they're, they're busy quietly drawing or quietly coloring, but then they ask you questions about the sermon on the way home from church because they're listening. They're, they're, they're engaged, but, but they hear something that sticks with them, and, and it shows that they're beginning to, um, to hear what's going on. And then from at kindergarten through um, teen, the expectation is just increasing focus and attention. Uh, early on, they're not gonna grasp every concept of the sermon, but they should be expected to put some effort into listening to gain as much as they can. Now, um, as they get a little bit older and as they learn how to write, you can say, I want you to write down three important things from the sermon, or I want you to draw a picture of what um, the gospel text was about. Um, and, and when they start taking notes in school, or you ask them um, to take notes from the sermon, to, to write down their thoughts and organize the information. And then on the way home from church or Sunday uh, dinner is a good time to review 
how well they were taking their notes. Uh, the purpose of all of this is not just to, just to give them something to do so their minds can wander, but so that they can learn age-appropriate ways of being still, being quiet, and beginning to learn the discipline of, of Christian worship. What do you do, though, when uh, disobedience or noise erupts? You quickly, decisively, but discreetly address it. Remember your exit plan that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Don't be dramatic. Don't make a big deal out of it. Be as subtle and as calm as possible. Um, re refrain from the loud shh that, that draws attention to everything. Um, you're making more noise than the kid is. Remove the kid from the sanctuary. And you're moving them not to play, not to look for something different. Um, if it's a baby, you take care of their needs and you come back when it's a good time. But if it's a toddler or a small child, um, if you have to take them out for disobedience, it's, you're getting a spanking. I mean, if you're disobeying and I have to take you out, um, you're, you're getting a spanking. It, you have water, you don't need water. You just use the bathroom before worship started. You don't need to use the bathroom again. You're, you're not gonna go to the bathroom because you're bored and you need to look at something different for a while. Uh, we're not leaving the sanctuary to go play. If we have to get up after a certain age, and, and you know this age, but if we have to get up, you're being corrected. And that's all that we're gonna do when we get up is that you're getting a spanking and we're gonna go sit down one time. We're not getting up and getting down. If I have to get up a second time, you're getting corrected, but we're not coming back until uh, the end of the sermon, and it's not playtime. Um, this, I, I want worship to be a delight and a joy, but as with all things, it takes um, hard work to get there, and it, it even takes a little bit of pain to get to the joy. And um, again, with this short window that I had with both of my kids, I remember when I did it with both of them. Um, with Jacob, I asked the elders, I said, I need uh, several months to get this boy trained for worship and then, and then I'll be, but I, I can't be doing anything on Sunday morning. I can't, uh, I need this time off. I can't be leading worship, I can't be preaching. I have to focus on getting this boy trained for worship. And it was just at that time where he was starting to just vocalize for no reason and it got to the point where I realized he knows. He knows what he's doing, and he, he knows what it means to be quiet because he can be quiet at home, and yet here at church, he just he keeps vocalizing for no good reason. Um, so I sit in the very last row, sat in the last row of the sanctuary right by the door. Our sanctuary had a big foyer with pews in it, so the first time he barked, yelped, whack, hit, hit, you know, that kind of thing. I got out, I got out, I took him all the way outside the building, I said, son, no, we're not making any noise today. I gave him a swat on his thigh. He cried. He curled his lip. Um, I, I, he got better. He's okay. He's, he's not, you know, uh, an abused child. Uh, he got better. Um, but we didn't go back into the sanctuary. We went back into the foyer and sat on the pew in the, in the, in the foyer. I know our, our arrangement here is different. We do have an overflow room that is um, handy uh, for something like this. So I sat in there, and a couple of minutes later, he's barking again. He's like, hop, hop, hop. And I, nope, we outside, spanking, back into the foyer. Five minutes later, hop, 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 back out again. And I, that child's thighs were chapped on that Lord's Day. Um, 
But he never did that again. He, he took an L on that day. He took the loss. I got one in the win column, and he never did it again. Uh, similar story with my daughter. It's a whole different set of circumstances, but there was a day, there was a time where I said, this is it. This is it. There's, we're not barking in worship anymore. We're not making noise like this. You're taking the loss. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. And, and then after that, the Sundays were joyful. Your firmness on that one Sunday gave us a whole bunch of joyful Sundays. And if you look today, my son doesn't bark in worship. Um, so the, the, <laughs> the hope there is that people, um, if you've got uh, babies, it feels like this is gonna last forever. It feels like it is, this is my life now for the rest of eternity. I have a screaming crazy person that I have to deal with in, in worship, and that's not it at all. You get, you get past it. Um, so um, it, it is, um, and, and then it's a joy, and then it's a delight. Uh, so, so we gave ourselves, um, my wife and I gave ourselves to doing everything we could to make Sundays a delight for our children. So when they sinned against that, um, when they rebelled against, they were rebelling against joy. They weren't rebelling against a drudgery. I was not asking them to be statues. I wasn't asking them to be completely silent without Cheerios or crayons or anything that I was managing that I was keeping on top of, but I wasn't asking them to be statues. I was asking them just to be quiet. That's all, and, and just to be still and not to be a distraction. And so when they sinned against that, they sinned against joy. They sinned against joy, not drudgery. So there are some other things you can do to keep Sunday as the most joyful day of the week. Um, that's the day you get together with other families, you do special things, you find every way possible dads to take the burdens off a of mom so that she can rest and you really do make it a joy and a delight. I went way longer than I intended to go. Any questions, any advice, any help on making the Lord's day a joy, not a drudgery, and to not boil a kid in his mother's milk as we do this.